Welcome to the Dearly Discarded Podcast, where we tell the true stories of the vaccine injured that many don't want to hear. These are real people sharing real experiences, uncensored and unsanitized. Listen and learn with us as we tell the stories that have yet to be heard by those who've been discarded. No preaching, no propaganda, and no judgments, just the truth. Welcome to the Dearly Discarded Podcast. I am your host. My name is Jared St. Clair, and I'm honored to have my next guest. We met very briefly in Los Angeles just a few weeks ago at the Defeat the Mandates rally, and uh, he was uh, generous enough with his time to decide to come on the Dearly Discarded Podcast and share his story, which is a truly unique one that I think you're really going to enjoy. I'd like to welcome Lieutenant Colonel Pete Chambers to the Dearly Discarded Podcast. It's great to be here, Jared, and, and good to see you again uh, after L.A. It was a good good event. It was, yeah, and, and uh, it's, it, it was an exciting thing for me because I was able to uh, meet a lot of people that I think have been incredibly instrumental in uh, sharing the truth about what's going on when it comes to the COVID and uh, COVID vaccines. And, of course, you're uh, certainly one that's been high on my list, so I'm, I'm glad to have you here. So first off, give us just a little bit of a brief background on who you are and, and what your history is, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll start there. Okay, well, I'll start with this. Anything that I say after my brief description of who I am is, is my opinion based on facts and, and information that I obtained uh, by, by observation, and it's not the Department of Defense, it's not the Texas Military Department, uh, two entities of which I've worked for for 39 years career spanning um, and, and loved my job all the way through. I've got another month or so to retire. Uh, I started in 1983 as an infantry kid. I was 18 years old, did my time, got out, uh, honorable discharge, uh, went to college, went to med school. I had a different career path in mind. My dad was a family doctor, small town. Uh, kind of what I wanted to do. Someday I may go do house calls for people again. Um, but 9-11 happened. And when 9-11 happened, I came back in the military, uh, went to Special Forces, uh, ended up at Fort Bragg, deployed several times downrange, uh, several combat tours, uh, survived them, uh, took care of a lot of soldiers downrange. Um, and I am also a Green Beret. I qualified as one as a doctor, one of the five that did it. I was luckily blessed to be the first one that they volunteered to go do it, uh, which is great because it put me right there with the guys uh, at the tip of the spear. And that's where uh, I felt like God had his hand on me to do what I needed to do to be the first one to intervene uh, medically. Um, at that time, I, uh, in 2015, I got off of active duty went to the Texas National Guard, where I've been since, and uh, I love that job. I love my soldiers. We've, we've been on the border. I've worked for Governor Abbott as a, as a task force liaison uh, to his staff uh, during the COVID response in 2020, and then subsequently went to the border in 2021, uh, after, I think it was February 2021 when I reported to the border. That brings you up to speed of who I am. Excellent. Well, and that puts you in a very unique position uh, to uh, talk with uh, some authority on COVID and, and what's been happening, especially in the military. So tell us your own personal uh, COVID vaccine story. Absolutely. In 2020, like I said, I went to the uh, governor's task force. It was a liaison position where I interfaced between the military, Texas military department and the governor's office great job. We were able to uh, obtain quickly or ascertain quickly that this was not Ebola. This was not something that was, oh my gosh, the sky is falling. But, you know, when you're working on staff and you're talking to the public health people and they don't want to listen to you, it's a frustrating job. And I did that for three months inside the operations center, went out in the field. We were doing testing, uh, PCR testing on people around the state. I had several teams that were under me and, uh, it was a fulfilling job in the sense that I was meeting a lot of people and getting to know a lot of folks. The bad side of that was understanding the false positive rates to PCR tests. I was really wondering what, what is it that we're doing here? We, we can get into that. But right after that mission, and, and this is where uh, I went to the border, and in order to go to the border, 
uh, because we're doing an operation on the Texas-Mexico border on the Rio Grande River, 1,245 miles of river, mm-hmm. uh, of coastline we're, we're, we're defending. Um, I was uh, required to take the shots. Now, the shots had just come out in January. I reported in February, so I took my first shot in January. A little bit over 30 days later, I took my second shot. No issues at that time. Which uh, uh, report? Which one? I got the Moderna oh, shot. Moderna, okay. Moderna, two two part series. Uh, didn't have any in, initial events that I noticed, and I'll get into that. So then, about 40 days into being down there, I noticed brain fog. Now, bear in mind that that the VARES data had not come out yet, and it wasn't something that I had used in the past. VARES data is it's always been there. But as a doc who is typically at the tip of the spear, I'm not in a clinic where I'm having people come through for shots. I'm working on, you know, stopping bleeding. That's my specialty mm-hmm. is, is combat trauma. And then uh, I go into foreign countries and, you know, do village, you know, sick call, if you will. Right. Go down and win hearts and minds, talk to kids and take care of them. It's, it's a great job. Uh, saw the world, you know, 50 something countries in my 30, 39 years. Um, that being said, I got, I got down there and I started getting brain fog. And that's when I really started doing some research on this. It's hard when you, you know, when you're a soldier, you, you do what you're told, right? You have lawful orders and you, right. and you follow a lawful order. And I've been doing that since 1983. And my, my shot card, which is a yellow card, I don't have it, but it's trifold. And there's numbers going all the way down. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes in there it says, hey, you know, he got a blood test and it says he has antibodies, natural immunity, no shot required, which is kind of nice. Yeah, it's in the Army sure. regulations. It says, hey, Army Regulation 40-562, Chapter 8. And there's a paragraph in there about that. Natural immunity precludes you from having to take a shot. But in this case, I didn't. I hadn't had COVID. I did what I had done several times before with shots. I took the shot as a soldier. Didn't research it. Possibly should have, could have, but... Hindsight is 2020, and to be honest with you, uh, now that uh, you know I'm a believer in, in in Christ, and I read the Bible, and and that you know Paul talks about a thorn in his side, and maybe this is my thorn in my side. This is something that, that helps me to understand, empathize, and and also treat. And then uh, I've been learning about the treatment of the shots, and we'll probably get to that. Okay. Um, that that's where it started. Brain fog about 40 days after. And in about two months at that point, I started getting episodes of vertigo. And I've already had tinnitus in one ear because of an explosion in Iraq in 04. Okay. So I got bilateral tinnitus at this time. So that's the ringing in the ears, really just getting louder and louder. Now, I used to make peace with my ear ringing in that it was like a white noise to me because otherwise it can drive you crazy. Yeah. But like, okay, I'm going to make peace with it. Well, then this new bilateral auditory uh, problems are starting. And then I remember the day, it was probably midsummer. I got severe vertigo to the point where I had horizontal gaze nystagmus. So that's almost like when a cop does a, a sobriety test and he makes your eyes go all the way to the right and all the way to the left. Mm-hmm. And then if they blink like that, that's horizontal gaze nystagmus. Right. I got it just driving down the road in my pickup. You know, I had a, a army issue pickup pulled over to the side of the road, I was by myself, let it kind of, you know, run its course, continued on. Thought, well, maybe I got an acoustic problem. I got an inner ear problem, labyrinthine processes that guide all that stuff. Perhaps that's it. Not thinking, you know, that I've got a back injury. But I did notice that soldiers were having some of the same symptoms. Okay, that's okay. when, that's when the hair went up on my back of my neck and said, I need to start looking at some of this stuff really now because nothing had come out yet. You know, come March is when things started coming out. April, they really did. And that's about the time frame when I had this vertigo and really put it together. Started researching a lot. And, and you know, for me, being the only doctor on the border, you got a lot of area to cover. I'm moving every day. So I don't have time for a lot of research, but made time. Uh, got into the research of it, noticed other people were complaining of the same type of symptoms reported in beers. Okay, the bad vaccine adverse uh, event reaction mm-hmm. uh, database. At that point, I started talking to other doctors in the military system. And I was the only one on the border, so I had nobody to go to but my state surgeon. So my state surgeon said, no, it's not the shots. It's probably just the 
altitude or not altitude the uh, uh, the atmosphere down there because well, why are all these soldiers getting this because as soldiers were coming on the border they were coming on vaccinated they had right. brought them in through right. a, through a in processing and there were more and more numbers as the numbers were going up I'm noticing more and more of this people coming into me sick call you know sick calls every day they go to my medics and so we started keeping numbers and we, we kept numbers throughout the whole task force for the year for me and we watched every time there was a cause and effect every time vac vaccines were given based upon a lot number and I would pay attention to lot numbers and most of them for us were Moderna some of them then went outside and got them in a local place and they might have been Pfizer or Johnson & Johnson but mm -hmm. the ones that we got uh, were about 50-50 Moderna and Pfizer started looking at those numbers we keep in our own personal log as to what's going on uh, with with the with the data and then I started uh, getting a hold of then when my state surgeon said all right that's it you know chambers stop with the this is from the shots at this point now you know I'm, I'm like looking at Peter McCullough stuff I'm looking at Zelenko stuff I'm reading everything because I'm you know I'm really concerned and uh, really looked into mRNA therapy, gene therapy, as to really, really what it was, was altering the DNA and taking an mRNA and messenger RNA and replicating and changing the structure of someone's DNA. It just didn't sound right, but I knew that that existed in chemotherapy before, but I just had never seen it used for vaccine therapy. Right. So the, as these concerns are rising, more and more people coming on their border, I said, all right, that's it. I'm going to develop my own informed consent because the Army's informed consent was non-existent at the time. It consisted of what was in the fact sheet. And the fact sheet says you might get, if you get uh, swelling or if you get some redness at the site or some pain in your arm, that was about it. Yeah. There wasn't much on the original yeah. fact sheets. As a matter of fact, if you took the box that it came in and there's, there's an information sheet inside of it, it said left intentionally blank. And I opened this thing up and I'm like, normally it has just reams of information on any drug. doesn't matter. You can get a bottle of aspirin. If, you, if it had an information sheet in a stock box of aspirin, the military gets them that way. Inside is the information sheet. Can cause bleeding, can cause, you know, Rainier's right. disease. I mean, Raynaud's syndrome. All these things. And you're like, okay, why is this in left intentionally blank? Well, it's an emergency use authorization. The indemnity is gone. There's no there's nobody to to go after if you if it was uh, something that was fraudulent. Now we're seeing different information on that but uh so this is when really red flags went up then i started getting the reputation from the state surgeon from other surgeons that they would send down and talk to me hey look you're you're uh, you're a tin hat guy now bear in mind it's it's hard to go from uh and i'm not this is not an ego thing but this is a if you're one of five doctors in the army's inventory that's a, that's a green beret you're kind of like the golden child right because you go and you're, you're at the tip of the spear I never you know looked at it like an ego thing but you go from here to here in about two months because now you're that guy that's telling the truth and, mm. and that's called personal courage that's army value number seven and it takes a lot because you've got to go against people now who way outrank you you know two stars who would come down and quit doing these informed consents you're 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 not getting enough people well, at that time, at three thousand troops, only six people had taken the shots. And they so, your mad. informed consent—you wrote it yourself, based on what you'd observed. Is that right? Based off CDC data, based off NIH, based on FD, FDA, based on VIRS, and I took some uh, studies that were out there, and then uh, some of Peter McCullough's stuff, and I put it all together in a ninety-point, uh, ninety-page uh, slide deck uh, PowerPoint. Oh, wow. And then I probably would brief off of about 30, 30 slides, and then I would have the other ones there supporting. Somebody had a question, I could pull it up and say, here you go. All right, but when you're talking to people in the age range of 21 to 35, 40, the rate is 99.9 something survival rate with nothing. But if they did from, get from sick, COVID. early intervention of COVID, of COVID, right, right. To, to give them the, the, the good and the bad. Now, if I went back, hindsight's 2020, I would have one slide up there with a skull and crossbones on it saying, any questions? Because that's truly where we're at. <laughs> but, but at that time, i doing what is right by the regulation, by the regulation that says, right. I believe in chapter eight, maybe six, uh, must 
perform informed consents for emergency use authorization. Comernity did not exist. The first batch that they sent me to the border from Austin, about a five hour drive, the first batch, that they, not to me, the team came down to the, the shot team came down to give them. I sent them back. I said, this isn't Comernity. That's the one that's been approved. Go back right. to Austin and get it. And that's when the state surgeon called me and said, what are you doing sending the team back? That takes a lot of time to plan all this stuff. And you got, you know, 600 soldiers standing in line and you just DC'd all that. I'm like, Roger that, sir. Didn't have community. Well, I'll get community. I'm sending the team back down next week. Okay. They send them down next week. Well, I was in Big Bend of Texas, and that was in where they were giving them was in McAllen. So I had a long way to go back, but I got back in time. They showed up again. And there it is. BioNTech on the vial. No, it's BLA and EUA is the same thing. I'm like, no, 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 no. I said a few choice words. <laughs> I outranked the guy. I was like, listen, brother, stop. Stop with the trying to, to convince me. Show me community. Don't have it, sir. Pack your stuff up. Head back to Austin. We did this twice. Wow. Now the state surgeon calls me and says, you only got six people to take the shots. You won't let us do it down there. What are you doing? And I said, sir, I'm doing something called the, the, the doctrine of lesser magistrates. And I'd been reading about other things. And the doctrine of le lesser magistrates goes like this. There's an excellent book out there. It's... It's in the story of Daniel when he says, he goes to the king and says, hey, the people of Judea, they want to go home. We need to send them home. And he says, uh, no, I'm not going to allow this. And uh, hey, I'm going to throw you in the lion's den. He survives it. He comes back. That's called interposition. You interpose for the people that you're over. So as, as a commander, I take care of my people. I'm ultimately responsible for everything that happens or fails to happen. Mm -hmm. Now, I wasn't the commander at the time. I was a doctor and it was my job to keep them safe. First of all, do no harm. Right. right. Legal, moral, ethical and regulations. That's what you got. I can't go wrong with all that. So then the two star came down there to see me. This would be the division commander. And he comes in and he's doing it not just to see me, but a tour of the border. And he comes in specifically to talk to chambers in the med, the med section. And I had a whiteboard up with all our numbers we've been keeping. I said, sir, can I just show you this for a second? He's like, how's everybody doing? OK, good. Nice to see you all. He's walking out. I'm like, sir, what's that? I need to show you this. I know, Chambers, you're going to talk to about the shots. All right, well, just do the, don't do the informed consents. We need to get the numbers up. This is going to be our careers if we don't. Right, Roger that, sir. I understand. I can't do that, though. And here's the science on it. And I just had it really simple. But I don't have time for science, Chambers. It's like, all right, sir. Can I just tell He said, it's policy. I don't give a GD about the science. All right, well, I'm like, well, sir, I do. I'm your special staff, and it's my job to inform you of the science. That's my job. Uh, I, I advocate for soldiers, and I inform the command. It's my job. And by regulation, I must do them. And I don't want to say this, sir, but that's an illegal order. It's an unlawful order. I cannot take that. Oh, you're going to go by the regs, are you? Now, at the time, I had an illegal mustache. It was a little bit out of regs. And he said, well, look at your mustache. You're not even a red guy anyway. You're a green beret. Shave that mustache. I said, well... You got me there, sir. You got me there. All right. But regulations of these shots, we, we got to do them. So then he had the state surgeon call me and they fired me. And the state surgeon, and this is the phone call. This is how it happened. Chambers, what are you doing? Uh, general says, you got to go. You got to leave the border. Pack your bags. You're, you're leaving. I said, sir, I don't want you to get in trouble. He said, well, how am I going to get in trouble? I said, well, I did a whistleblower with a congressman. And under the Whistleblower Act, if you do that, there is it's called retribution. If you do that, you'll be guilty of Whistleblower Act. Now, he loses his mind on the phone. Just irate. He says, all right, I'll call you back in an hour, but pack your bags. So I'm literally packing my office up. I'm like, all right, well, I'll leave the border. And But I was just thinking, how are they going to get another doctor down here? They, nobody wants to volunteer to go to the border. I mean, this is not the best duty in the world. It's tough. But, okay, get you another doctor. And he calls me in an hour and says, okay, we decided to leave you down there until your orders run out. I'm like, okay, <laughs> sounds good. You know, So he got a little scared, I think, because they, wanted, they were wondering about this congressional. Well, that congressional didn't work. The first one I did with, was with uh, Congressman Dan Crenshaw's office. Okay. They, never, they never completed it. They just kind of just dr drug it out. Okay. I wasn't happy with that. I went to a second congressman, Van Taylor in Texas. 
same thing. He said, and I talked to him personally. Hey, I'll talk to Governor Abbott. Nothing happened. The third one was when I met Teresa Long, Colonel Teresa Long, on the phone because I read her affidavit. And I said, can I borrow your affidavit? I want to use it to help some PJs out. Now, the PJs are their Air Force pararescue guys. They had contacted me and said, we really need some help, Doc. Can you help us? Now, those guys rescued me once in, in the border of Pakistan and Afghanistan. So I have a heart for them. And I knew mm -hmm. them. And I'm a flight surgeon. So I could write them an affidavit. So I borrowed Teresa's outline, basically, and you know, moved some things around. Because hers is about pilots. Mine is about you know guys that jump out of planes. Same physiology. And so they did that, and that went to court. And I don't know where it's at right now. But from talking to Teresa Long, that's when she said, look at the Defense Medical Epidemiology Database, a tool that I don't use very often. Because okay. once again, I'm at the tip of the spear. I don't do a lot of data mining. So I did. I went on it with some other docs uh, when I went back up to, or to uh, Austin. And just neurologic damage alone, which is what my mine was. I just pulled that one up just to see. Neurologic damage went up 1,100% from... 2020 to January 2021, it went up 1,100. That's over a 10x rise. Now, is that in soldiers across the board, or is that a specific across the DOD? Okay. I could I could have just searched mine, but because our guys were not admitting that that it was vax related, I just went DOD in general. All right. Because I knew that the more numbers that I had overall, the more accurate the data would be, and so. Then we looked up myocarditis. We had cases of that on the border. We looked up pulmonary emboli, blood clots in the lung. We had that on the border. Looked up just brain fog, headaches, uh, vertigo, tinnitus, all these symptoms, hundreds of symptoms, all through the roof. So that's when we went to Senator Johnson under the attorney Tom Renz, great American, did some great stuff, got it out for the first time in an open forum to a senator who wrote us a whistleblower protection. That doesn't yeah, mean that I can... Senator Ron Johnson senator from Wisconsin. Ron Johnson. Yeah. Yes, okay. sir. And since then, I've met him several times and talked to him and met him face to face. And I'm going to tell you, that man has a heart for this. He has a heart because I spent an hour and a half with him in Dallas and uh, face to face. And uh, I, I can read people pretty good once I meet them face to face. I can mm -hmm. listen to somebody on the phone. It's different. Yeah, meet them face to face and see what they're really. What is their, uh, what is the, where is their heart? And that guy has got a heart for this. He's in the fight, but he's a realist and he understands that that fight uh, cannot just be sensational. It has to be backed up with data. Right. You know, it it can have a little bit of gotcha moment in there. Like I need this to be spectacular. Like this is serious. So I've been doing that, and so soldiers now and sailors and airmen, Marines talk to me and send me anecdotal stories and saying, this is my story. This is my story. And I put a few out on my telegram, just telling, you know, with approval, not their names, just the story. Right. So, so right. people can understand in their words, a 22 year old, uh, this has ruined my life. You know, much like, you know, your podcast, your last one. I mean, yeah. stories like that, this has ruined our lives. This is destroying in the words of Teresa Long on the, uh, the uh, seals versus uh, Lloyd Austin case. Uh, Matt Staver's case in Tampa, she stood up and one of the first things she said was, this is destroying our troops. This is destroying our military. This is destroying our families. This is destroying us on the stand. And I, it just stuck with me because I just thought that says it. It's 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 that strong and it, and it has to be that strong. Yeah. Yeah. So that's oh. pretty much you know what brought me there and then me getting fired. Or, well, my orders ran out and I left the border. So. Okay. So then in your case, as far as uh, symptoms that you experienced, you, you went over the, the vertigo and the tinnitus. Uh, anything else that you've experienced with that? Yes. So with that, uh, the, the last episode of vertigo was extremely, uh, did not stop for a long time and uh, almost resulted in the end of my life in the sense that it, an accident almost ensued. And I can't go into the details because it was operationally related, but uh, I can just say that uh, if it wasn't for some friends, I probably wouldn't be here today because I, wow. I nearly, you know, crashed and burned. So that's when I went into another dock, took a little break off the border, had somebody cover for me, went up to um, Austin 
and saw him. He's a uh, primary care doc, but he put me in for an MRI. And the MRI showed what's called demyelination. Okay. Now, demyelination is like uh, taking a wire, you know, you got a wire here and it's got plastic over it, right? Take that plastic off and the, the metal's exposed. And I'm, I know you probably know what that is, but some of your people listening is sure. just kind of understand. And myelin is the sheath that covers the neurons. Mm-hmm. So it protects it so it doesn't short circuit in your brain. But it's also seen with Parkinson's disease. Mm-hmm. It's seen with uh, multiple sclerosis. It's seen with uh, various other types of neurologic dysfunctions. But I know that I didn't have that before because I've been in an IED uh, in 2004 and my brain wasn't hit. It was just an overpressure injury. I got some shrapnel, but, um, but I've had an MRI before and it was clean. There was, I didn't have anything that looked like MS in the past. Right. So this is kind of corroborates with this. And then I, I read on the stand in Tampa, I read the, the, not all 1,291 of them, but numerous, side effects reported by Pfizer themselves, the data, the initial data that had to, that took a Freedom of Information Act to release this data, 1,291. And then there was demyelination, right? Yeah. When I was cross-examined by the DOJ and they said, well, according to our, our information on the DMED data, Defense Medical Epidemiology Database, they pulled up the numbers after they were changed. Now, I didn't talk about that, but we can. Uh, after we presented it to Ron Johnson, Ron Johnson looked at the camera and said, all right, DOD, I'm putting you, I'm, I'm holding you accountable. Do not mess with this data. And literally, the DMED system went down for 48 hours. When it came back up, everything went like this. Wow. Okay. There's no change. What? And so, in court, they actually pulled up what they had, the change, and said, no, demyelination is down 6%. Well, it's up 100% for me. <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> That's something I typically have. So it just, you know, they didn't know that I was going to be a vax damage guy sitting there. They thought I was just going to be a fact witness guy. Yeah. Um, it kind of makes you a unicorn in a, in, a, in a weird sort of sense. But uh, it's important. It's important for the fight. Um, you know, mo- most dangerous person on a battlefield I would say a green beret, but we'll just say the most dangerous person on a battlefield is the guy or gal that has been mortally wounded that knows it, but can still return fire. Mm. If you think about that, that's where I'm sitting. I'm not saying I'm mortally wounded. I, I, you know, it could shorten my life. I could, you know, keel over tomorrow, but until I go, I'm returning fire. And that's the way I look at it because now hindsight is 2020. I probably took care of, Let's just say one trip in Afghanistan, I probably took care of 140 combat wounds. Um, okay. I, I know my stats. And uh, I sent home probably 15 through Lonstool to go back home. And I put six soldiers in a body bag in that trip. Okay, It was a pretty bad trip. But in this case, the number of service members that could be affected with de- debilitating disease or death is a hundredfold of those numbers, a thousandfold potentially. Yeah, future potent- people coming in. Yeah, right. And so that that in this case, you know, what is it that we could affect by telling the truth? Well, you're right, though. It takes an awful lot of courage. It's an interesting thing. Uh, before I took on the the, the hosting uh, position for this podcast, I was warned, hey. Maybe you don't want to do this uh, because uh, you're putting yourself in the line of fire, you know, more than maybe you already are. And it, clearly the stuff that's happened to anybody who has stood up and told truths, uh, you know, the Robert Malones and the Peter McCullough's of the world. And, of course, there's so many other courageous doctors who have stood up and said, hey, enough is enough. And, and we really need to talk about what the truth is here. They've been you know, they lawsuits and defamation like crazy. And, you know, Mm -hmm. now they're all these, uh, you know, they're quacks when they used to be incredibly respected physicians, you know, just two years ago. It's, Mm -hmm. it's a crazy time that we're living in. And it does require, I think, a unique uh, individual like yourself to, to be willing to return fire. And uh, I, I will say for one, I appreciate what you're doing because you are in such a unique position and we, and we need voices like yours. So 
Thank you so Thanks, much sir. for that. Let me ask you a couple other questions here that I think are, mm-hmm. are really important. You did mention to me prior to uh, our interview here that you're, you have concerns with uh, the soldiers who, are, uh, who want to choose not to be vaccinated uh, and, and the military potentially uh, using what you called lesser intrusive means. Uh, talk to us about that mm-hmm. a little bit. Good question. Um, when, and this is a term that I picked up in court and listening to the arguments going back and forth, there were, there were three main things that they kept throwing back and forth. Is it safe? Is it effective? And can it be done with lesser intrusive means? And here's an example from the Tampa court case. A Navy destroyer captain says, I don't want to take the shots, but I will do whatever it takes to keep my battleship 100%. And he did. And he's, just, he's listening to that guy talk on the stands. I felt like I was listening to, uh, you know, Samuel Adams from the Revolutionary War. I mean, just a very eloquent, heartfelt, humble man, but a commander of a destroyer. Yeah. Pretty significant responsibility. And listening to him, um, I, I realized that he was able to do his job and he had that, sea, that ship out at sea while he was still in limbo as to what was going to happen with his career for not taking it. And we researched and said, you can actually put a UV type light in closed spaces and kill anything in the room. The Pentagon has it. They put it in during the COVID response. Okay. So why couldn't they use a lesser intrusive means like a UV light in that command deck or in his bunk or wherever? To continue the the operation if it was if it was really necessary but a lesser intrusive means than something that has a high uh injury rate has been proven with all three shots that we've been dealing with in the military right that that is a more intrusive means because the risk versus benefit definitely doesn't go to the benefit the risk is higher yes so lesser intrusive means would be what i did on the border at 28 percent vaxxed across the border uh, of my soldiers that were down there, uh, we would do things like nasal lavage with betadine, mix it with some saline, you take an IV bag. These are things that I did downrange in Africa and Southeast Asia and different places of the world where it didn't have the inventory of things that I could possibly use, like working in the ER in a hospital back home. And I would say, all right, well, let's just mix this up. Hey, y'all are on the border here. Swab your noses with this when you come in, uh, you know, kind of swish it around a little bit, spit it out. And, uh, after your shift, your 12-hour shift on the border where you see 20,000 people walking across in a week over the whole Texas border, but some some sites would see between 400 and 900 people in eight hours come across, none of which are vaccinated, none of which have been tested. Many of them have other things. There was a large group from Haiti that came through that we were concerned with uh, because the the TB pop- in that population. I was more concerned about that as a doctor, really, but still. Lesser intrusive means able to keep the operation going. That is the argument. So it's not safe. It's not effective. We can do it with lesser intrusive means. End of story. If I was a judge, I probably would say, hey, you're right. And the mandates for the military and for the rest of us. Well, especially when you look at the, less intrusive is great, but also uh, proven, right? We know uh, what can happen with, with UV light. We know what can happen with just the lavage, like you described, and how effective right. that is. And not, not only is it incredibly non-intrusive, really, I mean, very, very simple stuff, but it's mm-hmm. effective. And if you look at the actual effectiveness rates based on what I've seen, more effective mm-hmm. than what you were getting with any of these uh, experimental jabs, right? Oh. You want, here, here's a great stat for you. When I left the border, uh, and they brought down a new doc to take over for me. And this guy called himself the COVID czar, all right? Nice guy, but he's the COVID czar. He's going to fix the problem that Chambers created on the border because we're not getting enough numbers. And 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 understand, if you, if you truly believe in what you're doing, and I guess he did or does, um, then if the numbers are too low and we're going to lose soldiers out of the guard, then I, I could understand his passion. But he's a scientist by by trade. I mean, we're, we're, we are scientists now. We, I may not be in the lab, but we understand the data. We can read it. Right. My goodness gracious. When he went to 48, now 58%, uh, we're sitting at about 60% now vaxxed on the border. 
the rates are at 78% of the people that come in that test positive on a PCR test, 78% are double vaxxed. Okay, double jabbed. What, what percentage did you say? 78. 78%, okay. And how does that jab. compare to what you were dealing with? I would, <laughs> I didn't really keep those numbers, but what I was looking at as far as, uh, because I had 28%, so I had 28% uh, that were vaccinated. I probably saw, because I was doing the lesser intrusive means, he quit doing that. He said, just wear masks. So he put everybody back in masks, um, which when you're wearing body armor for 12 hours of time in a humid environment, uh, that wasn't a good idea. Then he started having people drop from heat exhaustion. That's his yeah. deal. Uh, I had nobody go to the hospital for heat exhaustion. Nobody. Our, our medics did a great job. Um, but the, the, uh, the numbers that I had, I probably saw six maybe test positive in a week, but they were asymptomatic. And we had the regulation. They had to go and be in quarantine for 10 days. I looked at it like when I w was sick with COVID. Uh, I was sick for a day, really. I tested positive. Uh, I took some ivermectin, and within 12 hours, I was fine. But I had nine more days of vacation, right? That's what an army guy looks at. He's like, right. hey, I get to be in quarantine. This is awesome. I don't have to be standing my post right. until properly right. relieved. So, uh, yeah, there's that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's there are less intrusive memes, and, it, and it's when you're double jabbed, now people are taking boosters. Uh, it's, it's a lot worse. Okay, so let's make sure that those numbers are really clear because I think that's really powerful stuff. So you're saying that when mm -hmm. you were there, there was 28% vaxxed rate. Correct me on any of these that I get wrong. Right. Uh, you went up to it, it's now up to about sixty percent. Is that right? Yes. And of the those who are testing positive on a PCR test, seventy eight percent of the total are double jabbed. And Absolutely. so forty percent are not being uh, have not been vaccinated. Sixty percent have been vaccinated, and almost eighty percent of the total number are double jabbed, which indicates a pretty clear, obvious. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, cause and effect relationship to me. Very much so. Okay, so let's. Yeah, sorry, go yeah, ahead. Go ahead. No, no, that's okay. So you mentioned ivermectin, and that's an interesting uh, little rabbit hole too. But uh, the military, if if you did have someone come in for COVID, what were you told in terms of treatment? Did they give you a specific uh, protocol, or did you come up with they your own, or how does that tried, work? They tried to give me a protocol. Okay. Uh, they tried to shut down a lot of things, you know, shut down training. We went to the range, for example. I'm just going to give a quick one. Went to the range. One person tested positive. They insisted that I test everybody asymptomatically. One person tested positive, got to shut down the range. We're talking about I've got to move people to the border with weapons in their hands in 48 hours. And me as the doc, I'm like, I called up the state surgeon. I'm like, sir, I refuse to do that. I am not going to do that. This is my command right now, my medical command, and I am doing this here. I am looking at these soldiers in the face. If that person gets sick, we'll keep them separate, uh, but we'll put a mask on him for now. That's, I thought that was ridiculous anyway, but I'll do that to placate, but I'm not shutting this train down. All right, so what, uh, what we had was a two-tiered two system. In the military inventory, I could not keep those medications with me. But because it's the National Guard and we're on a state order, they could go to a local doctor and be prescribed ivermectin. Okay, so we had a, a list of local doctors that would. If they were sick, we would send them to them and they could get ivermectin and they would get well. Interesting. But I didn't really have that. I didn't have that, but, that often because we kept everybody pretty well just doing lobotomies. Yeah. But you mentioned to me also, I think before we got on, that uh, ivermectin used to be something in your toolkit until Absolutely. COVID. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. When I was on the COVID response, now I'll go back a year, okay. back to that. And I, and I brought those up to a round table of doctors, you know, state surgeon, the, the, the uh, public health doc, the governor's own personal doc that advised him. And I brought up hydroxychloroquine and I said, well, you know, I'm just looking at what's going on around the world and in Africa and in India, there's no COVID. So perhaps we could look at what they're using for malaria, which we've used for soldiers for years. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, since 2003, for me as an army doctor, I've been in the corners of the world in, in malaria endemic areas, giving soldiers a form of hydroxychloroquine or chloroquine or mefloquine. And those people aren't getting sick. Could we not give this to our soldiers if we're going to go out and test people? Because we don't know yet what it was at that point. Right. And it might work prophylactically. They said, this is exactly what it said. Do not ever bring that word up again at this table, soldier. Roger that. Because I finally, you know, I hound dog him a little bit. I'd smile and I'd be like, okay. And then I get to the sidebar conversation. I'd be like, Doc, why wouldn't we? He goes, Trump said that. I'm like, what about what? I, uh, hydroxychloroquine. I'm like, I don't know. I mean, so what? He's a politician. He knows nothing about medicine. It's not going to change whether I believe it works or not because I know that it does. Right. Reading the studies, early studies coming out. I want to have it in my inventory. Absolutely not. Okay. Because it, it was politicized, and that was my point. I mean, I'm, I'm being tongue-in-cheek, but I'm telling the truth. The conversation did happen. Right. And, and it's, it's, uh, it's indicative of the early politicization of this, this uh, science. Yeah. And, of course, I mean, we could dig into the politics of it and spend four hours. So let's get oh, back yeah. to <laughs> let's get back to yeah. your, your story a little bit. So yeah. your once you discovered that you were having symptoms and you traced it back to the vaccines uh, or in, and there's debate as to whether we should even call them vaccines. Uh, right. But uh, once you figured that out, what did you do or what have you done? And have you had any success with it as, yeah. in terms of trying to treat those symptoms? Another great question. So I have since, uh, actually since uh, the, the Los Angeles event, the Defeat the Mandates, um, not officially signed on, but I am. I will once I come off of, off of my, once I retire, mm -hmm. with uh, Truth for Health with Dr. Lee Vliet. Okay. Um, I'll be the military liaison with them. I've been on the, the Military Advisory Council prior to, but I will be with her. And I stopped. I drove out to L.A. from Texas. And when I drove back, when I left L.A., I stopped in her, she's in Arizona, and I saw her and officially was became a patient, ah, uh, okay. went through physical, did blood work, and did, did follow-up blood work. But prior to that, I had talked to Dr. Malone. I had talked to, through another person, to uh, Peter McCullough. He's busy, so I don't talk to him very often. Uh, I had talked to some other docs, uh, Cole, mm -hmm. uh, Ryan Cole, mm -hmm. great people. Uh, it's just they it are. was great to meet all of them out there. Yeah, you know that, like you said, I mean, in that that dinner that we had, just meeting everybody, and just listening, and Steve Kirsch, I mean, just a, a you know, not a physician, but still, uh, in the fight, absolutely, um, you felt a kindredship, which you know, when you're out here in the trenches, you feel alone, right? Poor Teresa Long calls me all the time, and she's at Fort Rucker, and she sometimes in tears, and I'm alone out here, and these they're just they're hitting me every day, and you know, I just kind of talk her through, and we talk to each other about. So the treatments that I used, and, and, you know, I have to be careful as a doctor, you know, not to, not to say that I'm prescribing something on the air and this right. is what you should do, yeah. but I'm going to tell you that I use some things that, that, that will bind the spike proteins, okay, and they're out there. They're in these protocols. You can read about them. Nutraceuticals, that alone has is, is really changed it for me to where I'm feeling like, okay, I'm not in that brain fog and I haven't had one episode uh, really in the last few months of vertigo. Excellent. Not one. Excellent. And so when I followed up with Dr. Vliet again, we look at my, my uh, T cells. We look at the, in my, my body's ability to mount an immune response mm -hmm. because there's some concern of a, a vaccine induced uh, acquired immune deficiency. So we want to make sure that, you know, if I'm going to be a, a, a test dummy, so to speak for this, uh, you know, in this next study that we're doing, um, that the, that the protocols that I'm using are working. Right. And so the right. nutraceuticals with vitamin D and vitamin C, zinc, uh, for me, N-acetylcysteine, mucumis, um, those things are what I've been, been using. Um, and I can say what I'm doing. What I'm doing is ivermectin. Um, I did that for uh, once a week for about three months. Okay. And then now I'm going to go to once a month. And then uh, also hydroxychloroquine. That's what I was doing. I was doing that daily. And so uh, that's what I still am doing. 
the brain fog is is definitely much better. I have sometimes a hard time coming up with a thought. I don't know if you catch, I'm getting better, but I mean, in the beginning, I my first interview I did was with uh, with Alex Jones. Oh, okay. I'm sitting there with Alex Jones, right? Because I just I was alone and unafraid at that point. I'm like, he lives, you know, eight miles from me right here, and so I was like, hey, brother, can you get me on your show? And he's like, what is it about? I'm like, well, it's about the border, but um, more about the you know the fight on COVID. Absolutely, come on, bring your dog. I got a working dog that's with me, uh-huh. and uh, I think you might have seen him. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, uh, I, met, I met your dog. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I met Joe. So uh, anyway, so he's got you know. All right, so let's talk about this. Tell me about the border, uh, and so. He tries to drag me down the rabbit hole of January 6th. I'm like, I'm not here about that. Really, I just want to talk about it. But in that interview, I remember one time, and I'm in the room with him. He looked at me and, and asked me something, and it just did not even register. Because at this point, it wasn't that far after I had you know, had the damage. Yeah. And I, it just didn't register. And I had to say, you're going to have to say that again, because I don't even know what you're saying right now. And that's how bad it was. Um, it's gotten better. Now I had some tremors too in my hands that had come along and that's getting better too. So okay. I didn't mention that. Any neuropathy, numbness, tingling, any of those types of things? That's a really common no, thing. I haven't I... had any. Okay, good. Yeah, I haven't had that. Um, I live with that because I have shrapnel in my body. So ah. it may, it may, you know, it rears its like ugly head every once in a while. And I, I take some, uh, some medication for that if I need it. But right now I, I haven't noticed any. Okay, excellent. Yeah. So it does seem, at least as some of these injuries uh, go, yours has been a little bit more mild than, than a lot of people's. Oh, my gosh. Thank I, goodness. I've had six in the ICU in Texas alone. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's an interesting thing. Coming from my perspective where I've, for the whole two years of this COVID craziness that's been going on, I've been uh, on my other podcast, the Vitality Radio podcast, you know, warning people about, what I consider to be pure propaganda about COVID and masks and the vaccines and even the social distancing and so, so many of the other right. things that have been brought up and what's right. happened with ivermectin, the demonization of ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. You know, I, I, I think you and I are pretty much on the same page on most of these mm-hmm. things, but I, you know, I was extremely suspicious from the beginning and I was already listening to, uh, you know, the McCullough's of the world and, uh, you know, Dell Big Tree. I don't know if you've interviewed with Dell or not. Yeah, I haven't interviewed with him. He was sitting in this room a couple of weeks ago with us. Oh, was and he? And I okay. said, eventually we will. Yeah. He lives real close. I don't know what it is about this area of Texas, <laughs> the Hill Country, but, you know, he's here. Mickey Willis is here. Yeah. Uh, Laura Logan. Uh, they all live pretty close. I didn't know area, Laura so. Logan lived down there. Interesting. Yeah. He's down uh, real close. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I was already you know, all the way down here, uh, I guess, in the rabbit hole of, of what was going on with these things. And I knew, I, I could see the writing on the wall as clear as day that there were going to be injuries. Now, what I have witnessed since I met Brianne Dressen, uh, our mutual friend, mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, have learned about React 19, and now have had the, the privilege, but also the Oh, I don't know the, the the reality. I guess kick in from interviewing people like yourself and like her, and you know, on dearly discarded up to. I think you'll be the eighth episode of this podcast. I've interviewed a twelve-year-old, a sixteen-year-old, a nineteen-year-old, a twenty-two-year-old. You know, these are young, healthy people that have been just almost obliterated by this stuff. Um, it has been a real rude awakening in 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 the way that i already believed that these things were going to happen but now i have to actually meet these amazing people that it's happened to and and it it takes on a whole new level of meaning when you get to put a face to the to the illness to the side effect yeah it's uh it was uh it was amazing being out there with those people i met some amazing people yeah you've was, i think you've met almost everybody that i've that i've interviewed yeah. up to this point because uh, yeah. we met them, a lot of them at the same time yeah. uh so let's talk just uh, you had a couple other things that you had asked me that you uh, to make sure that we covered um but i mm-hmm. want to go back to to doctor uh is it leave leet is that how it's pronounced leet leave leet yeah. truth for health out of arizona what yes. is she uh, what is truth for health trying to accomplish what's their mission would you say then Oh, gosh. So, you know, so many lines of effort there. But I'm going to say, number one, if you go to truthforhealth.org, you're going to see a repository of information and information on uh, signs, symptoms, treatments, um, other ideas, witty ideas, uh, naturopathic ideas, um, 
I mean, it, it, it gives you a, a repository to go there. And we try to keep it updated and I keep her informed as to the next pandemic that could possibly come out, right? Sure. Because if you're going to think like a soldier, you know, you think most dangerous course of action, most likely course of action. Right. So I think of most dangerous, say, well, if, this, if there's something else that could possibly come out, let's educate people so that we don't live in fear. Right. right? Because a lot of people live in fear. And, uh, and it's not in my vocabulary um, since, you know, being 39 years of carrying a gun and being a soldier. Not that I don't have fear, but to be able to overcome fear with, like a better word, courage. And courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. You know, yeah. John Wayne said that once in a, in a movie, one of my old heroes. Uh, so, Leavely had, had put that together, and it's just a, it's a great resource. But also, we have a military advisory council. We meet once a week, and we talk about how are we going to help soldiers out that are either backstamaged or are seeking some sort of a medical waiver or uh, accommodation. We know that they're not doing them, but we're still giving them the best chance that they can get. Okay. And if they are going to, uh, if they're going to, uh, it's a 501c3. So there's there's ways to help people that have been either backs damaged or seeking to do uh, legal action. And through that, she's been able to help some people out with that as well, or we are. Wonderful. And then she also has a uh, her own information um, where you can come in and put your own vaccination damage there to keep a repository of that information so that we can get our own numbers, real numbers, and follow those people. So you can go to that site and you can put your information in. And it's a little more in depth than, than uh, and it's a lot easier to use than VAERS. Okay. And it's not gonna be controlled by the government, which is the, yeah. the main thing. And for anyone right. that is unaware of VAERS, I mention it on pretty much every show. So if you've listened to more than just this one, it is the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System. It's been around since I think 1986 uh, for okay. all, all types of vaccine injury. And what is so shocking about the VAERS numbers uh, this go around is that the uh, COVID vaccines trump every other vaccine that's ever been uh, given uh, all combined. Uh, and it's not even close. These vaccines are uh, incredibly unsafe, uh, to say the least. And the VAERS data backs that up. So, uh, and if you want to check that out, if you're listening, it is VAERS, uh, openvares.org is probably the easiest place to see it because they've uh, simplified it. But you can definitely go to the CDC's VAERS website if you want to dig around in there as well. Uh, so, so we'll link to uh, Dr. Lee uh, and uh, Truth for Health in our show description so people can check that out. Is that a good resource? I haven't been there, so I'll check it out after we're done uh, interviewing. Is that a good resource in terms of nutraceutical uh, uh, suggestions and potencies? Nutraceutical like suggestions, but also some naturopaths, some you know, just different teas, herbs, and things like that that can help okay. with um prevention and also with treatment great great because it, it's antioxidants is really what you know is a lot of what the nutraceuticals are doing yeah and some people just can't you know some people can't stomach certain nutraceuticals are true sometimes they bother me but uh just to adjunct things that you know you might like green pine needle tea i don't know i've <laughs> drank a lot of it you know, I used to do, do evasion through north carolina and one of the things that you did was you would take pine needles and make tea out of it because it had such a antioxidant uh uh Side, not side effect, but effect. Benefit, yeah. And uh, a benefit. And, and, and vitamin A, you know, and other things that, you know, when you're on the run and you're going across country, that would help. Yeah, for sure. Uh, are you currently doing anything with uh, Senator Johnson? I do advise him from time to time. I, I don't say advise. I don't advise. That's not the right word. I inform him. Okay. Uh, of information, anecdotal uh, stories from, but backing them with actual data because these people are still on active duty and so they want to remain anonymous. So we just attribute a number to it. Uh, they get a hold of us, they attribute a number to it. We keep, they keep whoever, you know, the Air Force guys, the Navy guys, the, mostly aviation people have been hitting me up. Uh, and they keep that separate so that if we ever did need to reference back to the actual person, but then that way it, it keeps them from retribution because it's, it's a concern. There's a regulation system and there's a shadow regulation system that exists. Mm. And uh, unfortunately, we have to deal with both. I'm sure. And then there was one other thing that you had asked me uh, to, to, to mm -hmm. cover, if you don't mind jumping into it. The American Airlines pilot uh, and uh, a near disaster is all you told me. Is that a story you'd like yes. to tell? Absolutely. Yeah, that's uh, Bob Snow. He's a he's a great American. Uh, he <laughs> literally on the drive back from Los Angeles, I met uh 
in uh, Tucson with Dr. Bleat, and we're talking about the uh, Truth for Health. Mm -hmm. I get a phone call from Josh Yoder with U.S. Freedom Flyers. Okay. And he says, are you in Dallas? I said, no, I can be there tomorrow. Why? He said, get there tomorrow. We just had a pilot come into DFW with American Airlines on board Air, Airbus. I believe it's called a 321. Mm -hmm. uh, 190 souls aboard, almost 200. Uh, six minutes away from disaster. In that, if he had had his ventricular fibrillation six minutes prior to that, it would have been a disaster because he could have fallen over the controls and we were at 300 feet coming on approach. Yeah. Maybe could possibly be not enough time. Now, if we backward up, back up a little bit, a paper that uh, was written to the and sent to the FAA from America's frontline doctors, uh, Dr. McCullough, Dr. Cole, Dr. Long and myself signed off on that, saying that we agree with this paper and we added to or took away from. Uh, I didn't have to do much really just other than just review it. But that went to the FAA and it was a warning that something like this could happen. And this, in this pilot, this 30-year captain, prior Air Force officer, okay. um, had a, a cardiac event when he stood up in the cockpit as they were at the jetway and paid... Uh, patrons were getting off, you know, passengers were right, getting off, right. he coded. Now, there was a corpsman aboard and a nurse aboard. They conducted CPR on him until somebody got to him with an AED. They shot him three times. EMS took him, took him to Baylor Hospital. He was in the hospital, and he's subsequently doing a follow-up with that. The problem with it was is that he had held off the jabs. This is a very healthy guy who's never had any medical problems, uh, physically fit. I saw him in person, probably around the same age as me and his you know, mid fifties, mm -hmm. um, but a healthy guy and no family history. No. And, and bear in mind that the, the, the most difficult physicals to get in the world are the FAA physicals. And of course in the military, it's special operations people for yeah. the army side of the house or pilots in the military, very difficult to get. And they did them every six months. He had a follow-up. So he had been seeing a doctor regularly. It's more than most people do. Right. And here we have just about, so, they told him, if you don't, they being American Airlines, if you do not take these shots, you'll be fired, and we're going to give you X amount of time. I don't know what the time was. So prior to that, I believe, I want to say in November, December time frame, he had taken the Johnson & Johnson one time, Okay. and uh, he had noticed some symptoms along the way. He went to his doctor. And the doc said, well, it's probably GI related because sometimes that gets confused. I've worked at ER for 20 years. I know that some of these things are similar in, in appearance, but uh, however he presented it, it didn't raise to the level of that doctor's concern. Right. So he kept flying. And then subsequently that happened to him. So that was, a, that was an important wake up uh, to the aviation community. And so Josh Yoder has um, been following up with him. I follow up with him occasionally and just check on him. He... Uh, Dr. McCullough had helped out with ordering the right MRI to follow up. So I don't have any follow-up story on it just yet, uh, but once once it does, and if it gets released, you know, it requires a patient release, then we'll, we can talk about it. Sure. Wow. Mm -hmm. Well, thank goodness. I guess it happened when it did, although it shouldn't have had to happen at all. Mm -mm. Yeah. No. All right. Well, I feel, I feel like I've uh, taken enough of your time. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with the people listening today? Yes. I always end with this. Um, June 6, 1944, Omaha Beach, 1st Infantry Division Commander, Colonel George Taylor. He's on the beach, which is pretty rare nowadays. You wouldn't see a lot of colonels on the beach with his troops. But he's on the beach in this carnage that's going on. And everybody knows about D-Day. This is Normandy Beach, mm -hmm. June 6, 44. And they're hunkered down. These are kids. You know, I... I was a kid when I came at 18. I just couldn't imagine being 18 and being on Normandy Beach. But you're a soldier. You do, you do what you're told. And through this carnage, and these kids are up against a berm, and they're trying to, to keep away from the direct and indirect fire, mortars and, and cannon fire and machine guns. And he looks around. He looks at a gap. And he says, all right, all right, man, listen to me. There's only two kinds of people on this beach, the dead and those who will die. Follow me. Let's get off this beach. And that's when the, one of the beachheads were secured to get the 1st Infantry Division on Omaha Beach up into France and then subsequently to, to win World War II. This is the point where there we're at right now. This is the point where we're at. I see some, I see some positive things happening. I see that there's some weakening uh, 
amongst the tyrannical mandates that I'm going to call it mm-hmm. uh, in, in that regard and, and in many different ways. Uh, I see people waking up and, and that's really uh, whether you call it mass formation psychosis or whether you call it cognitive dissonance or you call it, look, I'm just comfortable. I don't really want to talk about this. I've seen all different walks. And then you got the, about the 10, 20% of the population is like us. That's awake. Just going, can you not see it? The King has no clothes. Right. You're like, wake up. I'm seeing those numbers shift a little bit to where more people in that center of that bell curve, you're never going to convince the, the, the mass formation folks. You'll never forget, uh, convince them and bless their hearts, right? But they'll find out in the end and they're going to go, wow, were we wrong? Or maybe they'll just continue to maintain that. Uh, but that's where we're at. Just just think about that. We are, we're at a momentum shift right now. And the, mo- the more that we allow this to continue, the more dead or dying we will see. Absolutely. Period. The beach is already littered with bodies. It's it's, uh, it's unbelievable, and uh, you know I get to <laughs> I get to interview a lot of the uh, a lot of the wounded right here, and uh, mm-hmm. it's it's an absolute pleasure uh, being able to do that. Your story is is fascinating, and the detail that you're able to offer based on your experience is incredibly vital. And and I'll I'll say this: I don't know what it's like to be in the military. I've never spent a, a day in in the military in my life. I have often, I will say throughout my life, I've probably spoken about things that the majority disagreed with. uh, And and that's an interesting position to be in. But what Mm -hmm. I will say is that you, what you said right at the beginning about the courage uh, and, and, and I think you said it was number seven. Tell me again, personal courage, personal courage, personal courage. It's an army value. It's an army value. Okay, so number seven of the army Mm -hmm. values, personal courage. It takes an awful lot of courage to stand up when you think you're alone. And I believe this. I really do believe this. Mm -hmm. Those of us who believe we're alone in this just haven't spoken up enough to find out how many people are with us. The group is much, much bigger uh, than we think it is. We've all been shoved into our own little echo chambers. And so we all think Mm -hmm. we're just talking to uh, a handful of people that believe like we do. Most people are staying Mm -hmm. quiet. We don't know what they believe. And it's time to speak your truth. It's time to stand up, share stories like this, and uh, get out of the shadows because we are at a pivotal moment. I absolutely agree with you on that. And as the focus has mm-hmm. shifted to what's going on with the Supreme Court and what's going on in Russia and, and the Ukraine, people are have, have kind of put COVID on the shelf. And I don't know how intentional that might be, but it seems like uh, there may be some intention behind that. We need to make sure that we don't take our foot off the pedal of pushing for truth, pushing against censorship, and telling these stories. And I greatly appreciate the efforts that you're making uh, on the behalf of, of all of us here in this country. Thank you so much. Jared, it's been a pleasure. And uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you for being with us. All right. So we'll keep following you and uh, we'll link to some things in the uh, show description and we'll continue to bring these stories to you every week on the Dearly Discarded podcast. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us this week and uh, please get Mm -hmm. involved. Uh, Check out react19.org. Check out Truth for Health. Uh, And if you want to hear more uh, stories, uh, definitely uh, subscribe to this podcast and we'll continue to tell them. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Jared St. Clair, and this has been another episode of the Dearly Discarded Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Dearly Discarded Podcast. We encourage you to help break through the silence and share this episode with your friends and family. It's time for these stories to not only be told, but to be heard. For more information, head to react19.org and dearlydiscardedpod.com. The Dearly Discarded Podcast is produced by Jared St. Clair and Michaela Hyde with support from React 19. We'll be back next week with another true story from one who lives it. Until then, join us on Team Humanity. Keep an open mind, seek the truth, and share these stories. Most of all, open your mouth. Silence won't change anything. 
React 19 needs your support. We're a grassroots nonprofit created by the COVID vaccine injured for the COVID vaccine injured. React 19 provides physical support through scientific research and physician referrals, financial support to those most in need for uncovered medical expenses, and emotional support by growing a community that's focused on compassionate advocacy, hope, fellowship, and improving lives. We can only do these things with your support. Your donation is tax deductible, and any amount is greatly appreciated. You can also sign up for automatic monthly donations. The vaccine injured have been marginalized, censored, and discarded, but they have not been broken. Help them rise to the challenge today. Visit react19.org for more information, or simply text the word REACT to 50155 and donate via text. 